Amen. He does need some men. He needs some women too. Amen. <clears throat> well, good. Amen. That's good stuff, guys. Thank you. All right. Take your Bible. Turn over to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We're going to look at one verse, and we're going to go from there, okay? That's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. <clears throat> The Bible says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. <clears throat> For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, we live in a very fearful society, don't we? I mean, on every side, there's enemies that grip our heart and could easily paralyze us with fear. Every turn... Every twist of the road that we travel, it seems that we're concerned that somebody may be lurking in the shadows. The war in, I, I, uh, in, in Afghanistan and so many other places, and I know they keep saying we're removing our soldiers and our troops, but we have troops around the world fighting for the cause of freedom. We have people that are, are possibly in danger at all times. We have a, a, a recession or a, 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 an economic downturn. We seem to have an unstable job market. I mean, the, the housing market still hasn't really rebounded like they would like it to have. Crime is on the increase, it seems. There's a massive political and social unrest that seems to be just uh, overwhelming our nation. I mean, disease and epi epidemics seem to abound. And every time, everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, there's something that grips our hearts with fear. You know, you hear, you're worried that the doctor's going to call you after having a test and tell you there's bad news. You're worried just about uh, someone taking a turn for the worst or a child going out and coming, maybe never coming back from an accident or possibly something taking place. We're so, we live in a world that's very fearful and scary. <clears throat> Years ago, I, uh, I found some nameplates that included their meaning. You know, they have the name, your name, and then what it means, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I remember being anxious to find my name. Of course, my name is Pastor. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, I found it, you know. And uh, actually, my first name's Mark, and I'm the pastor here. But nonetheless, um, I, I remember finding that. I was excited to find it. And I found it. And it said, you know what it said about Mark? It said, Strong Defender. I like that. Strong defender. <clears throat> now, I found other ones that said weak. No, I'm joking. I didn't. But, but there were, every, you know how it is. You know, that's what your name means, and you pick the one you like the best. You know, but I like strong defender. I think that's good. I just assume that must be correct. But I like that. And I, and I hope that that describes me. I hope that that says something about me as a person. And I, I don't think my parents went into a book and looked up the name and thought, we want him to be a strong defender one day. We'll call him Mark. Uh, you know, that's not how it worked, but nonetheless, I like that. That's always been the meaning that I've claimed. Now, this, this evening, <clears throat> I'm going to share some names of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about fear, when we think about being afraid, I'm going to share some names that Christ identified himself as being, and note how those names can enable us to find hope in this fearful age in which we live. You know, we think about our God and sometimes we put him in a little box, but the truth is he's available to us in every aspect of our life. He, he really is a very important and very powerful God. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I, we want to certainly look at some names tonight then that, that God calls himself, that the Lord Jesus identifies himself as, 
and recognize how that helps us to understand how he can be there to meet our need in the midst of this scary, fearful world we live in. And if you say there's nothing to be afraid of out there in this world, you're nuts. You're crazy. I know you can't walk around in fear. I know you can't live your life in fear. I realize all that. But let me tell you something. It's, it can be a very scary place. And we want to be able to walk through life without being afraid, knowing that someone is there for us. And so tonight I'm going to share with you four different names of Christ, okay? If we get to all four of them, great. If not, that's okay too. But let's go ahead and take a look at those. As I preach a message I've entitled, Jesus, the Solution to Man's Fears. Jesus, the Solution to Man's Fears. Let's pray. Father, bless bless us tonight. Lord, I need your help. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. Lord, every time I stand in this pulpit, Father, a tremendous responsibility is cast upon my shoulders. Lord, I do not have what these, thy people, need. Uh, Father, without you intervening and stepping up and sharing the truth. I know I can present a message, but Lord, I want something to last longer than just a few minutes here. Father, I want something to make an impact and a difference in our life to come. Father, may you be with each of us tonight. May we listen intently. May we allow you to speak. Lord, may we truly receive what you have for us. Lord, I'll trust you to fill me and to use me tonight. And I'll trust you to speak to hearts in a way that only you can. In Christ's name, amen. We think about being afraid. I mean, what are you afraid of? Somebody says, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm a man. Look at me. Sit up, would you please? I want all of you young people to sit straight up in your chairs. I want you leaning on your, your shoulders like that. I don't want you sleeping on me. I'm not going to keep you long tonight. I'm going to go a little shorter than normal just because you're here, okay? But I want you to listen to me while I'm here. Can you help me with that? Can you please help me then? Thank you. All right. <clears throat> so what are you afraid of? You say, I'm not afraid of nothing. I'm especially not afraid of you. Good for you. But I'll guarantee you something. I'll guarantee you. If I put a guillotine up here tonight, one of those things that comes down and cuts your head off, if I put a guillotine up here tonight and I went to each one of you and said, okay, you're not afraid of nothing, get up there and stick your head in it. I'll guarantee you, you'd get scared. You'd be afraid then. I don't care how big, how strong, how tough you are. There's fear that lives in our hearts. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the solution to man's fears. First of all, Jesus Christ is called the good shepherd. It's interesting to note the good shepherd in Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And there were in the same country, the Bible says, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Notice what the shepherds were doing. Shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night. That's good to know. You know what that means then? If Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, what's he doing? He's keeping watch over us. That means we're not on our own. That means we're not going our own direction, living our own lives uh, without Him being there very conscious and aware of our existence. I'm glad that God knows who I am tonight. I'm glad that God is not somewhere out there taking care of everyone else and leaving me to myself. I don't have to be afraid. I've got the good shepherd. He, Jesus said himself in John chapter 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You know what? We'd like to believe there's a number of people that give their life for us. We'd like to believe that. And you know what? There's possible, there might be a possible person in your life, somebody that would give their life for you. Maybe your mom, your, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, maybe an aunt or an uncle. Could be a good friend, might even be willing to do so. 
But what I do know is, is that the good shepherd, this shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. The Bible designates you and I as sheep. He is the good shepherd. That means he's willing to give his life for us. That's an amazing truth. Again, we live in a very violent and harsh society. People in general seem to be extremely angry. And they're very aggressive like never before. I mean, you cut somebody off accidentally, and man, if you're not, you got to be careful. You don't know what's going to happen. They talk about road rage. They talk about going postal on people. You know, how'd that come up? How do those words come up? People walk into post office and blow people away. I mean, somebody gets cut off. Next thing you know, they're going crazy. They're ranting and raving. They run you off the road, beat you up, shoot you. I mean, those are the kind of things that we read about and hear about in our culture and our society. And it's not very exciting. It's not very fun to think about it happening to us. There's very little love lost between people today. Fear, again, seems to grip our hearts. And a shepherd protects the sheep. The shepherd ensures that they're protected at any cost, even if it cost him his life. David, the great psalmist, he fought a bear and he fought a lion in order to protect his sheep. That's amazing. He's a young man. I don't know about some of you fellas here, but I wouldn't be real excited about fighting a bear. You know, I wouldn't be excited really about fighting a lion. You know what I mean? I, I think maybe I'd rather... I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if real bears can climb trees or not 100%. I mean, they're pretty big. But I mean, at least, I mean, but a, a lion? Are you kidding me? They move fast. You ever see a cat? You take a cat, I, you take a cat and throw it up in the air and spin it around. You know what? It lands on its feet, usually. It's amazing. Go ahead. And, and, and then, you know, you watch that cat jump. I mean, if that cat was sitting down here, it could jump up. How you doing? I mean, it, it, it's just all the way up. Now, just go ahead and multiply the size of that cat 15 or 20, 30 times, add about, you know, 250 pounds to it, and then ask yourself, do you really want to mess with that thing? I don't. I mean, you can mess with a cat. You get some yarn and string it around the room, and it follows its tail and does all kind of weird stuff. Man, you ain't going to play with a lion like that. I wouldn't want nothing to do with it. This shepherd, David, he was willing to fight that lion, that bear. Why? To protect his sheep. And that's exactly what we are afforded when God, the good shepherd, is there for us. He is there to protect us, to care for us, and to fight on our behalf. It was Christmas Eve, 1875, and Ira Sankey was traveling on the Delaware River steamboat when he was recognized by some of the passengers on board. His picture had been in the newspaper, of course, because he was the song leader for the famous D.L. Moody D.L. Moody would travel and do a number of these big conferences and, and uh, meetings. And as a result, his name got out there and his face was out there as well. So they, they asked uh, Ira Sankey to sing one of his own hymns. And again, he wrote hymns himself. But in this particular case, he said, I would prefer not to sing one of my own hymns, but I would rather do a hymn by William B. Bradbury. The name of the hymn would be Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. So they, they were excited. Okay, well, at least he's going to sing. And he began to sing one of the stanzas. And the stanza began like this. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Well, when he finished singing that verse, a man stepped from the shadows and said, Sir, can I ask you, did you ever serve in the Union Army? 
Mr. Sankey said, well, yes, I did. In the spring of 1860, I enlisted. He said, well, can you remember if you were doing uh, guard duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? You know what I mean? Mr. Sankey said, yeah. As a matter of fact, I was. The gentleman said, well, so did I. But I was serving in the Confederate Army at the time. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow's never going to get away alive. I raised my musket and I took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed. Nobody knew I was there, especially you. And while the full light of the moon was falling on you, there I stood ready to pull the trigger. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven. You began to sing. And I thought, I'm going to let him sing his song to the very end, and then I'll kill him. But that song you sang then was the song you sang just now, and I heard the words perfectly clear. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up my many memories, so many memories in my life. I began to think of my childhood and, and, and my God-fearing mother. She had sung that song to me so many times. When you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arm just seemed to go limp to my side. You know, you need the Good Shepherd, just like Ira Sankey did. I need the Good Shepherd. We need somebody there bigger than those that lurk in the shadows. We need somebody there that cares enough to care for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We sing a song, The Lord's our rock, in Him we hide. A shadow, a shelter in the time of storm. Secure whatever ill betide. A shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. A weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. A shelter in the time of storm. Some years ago, it was a bitter January night. The inhabitants of the old town of Sleswick were faced with terror and Concern. A hostile army was marching down upon them and there were reports of lawless conduct by the soldiers that were invading their towns. In one large cottage dwelt an old grandma with her widowed daughter and their grandson. And while everyone was quaking in their boots, while everyone was fearful of the coming harm and hurt, this aged woman just passed the time crying out to God that he would build a wall of defense around us. Build a wall of defense around us, oh God, please build a wall. Her grandson finally asked her why she would pray for such a ridiculous thing as building a wall. Do you really think God can build a wall? And he, she said, well, Sonny, what I'm really asking is I want God's protection is what I'm really asking him for. Just want God's protection. 
Well, at midnight, they heard the soldiers' feet. So they made their way into town, and the enemy came pouring in at every avenue, filling the houses and, and just making their way in, and they could hear the shrieks and the cries and the screams. But not even one knock came at their door. Not even one. The next morning as the sun, the, the, the morning dawned, they cracked the door just a little to see what was going on. And when they looked out, the winter wind had blown so hard that evening that it had literally blown a huge pile of snow around the side of their house facing the little town. No one could see, nor could they, get to that house because God had built a wall. Now someone says, that's crazy. <clears throat> that's God. Amen. The good shepherd. He cares for the sheep. He protects the sheep. The good shepherd. We live in a fearful world, but Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Not only that, but he is the bread of life. He's the bread of life. Take your Bible, if you would, turn over to John chapter 6, verse 31. John chapter 6, verse 31. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, of course, has been born. He's grown into a man. He's been baptized by John uh, the Baptist. His ministry is moving forward now. He begins to minister to people. And here we have some words that he shares with a group of disciples. In John 6, 31 through 35, they say, Oh, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Boy, in the passage we're reminded of the Israelites, aren't we? those who had wandered in the wilderness, those who were given bread from heaven in the form of manna. I mean, that's a horrible place to be. Millions of people in the wilderness, in the desert. How do you feed people like that? How do you feed that many folks in a desert place? This would seem impossible. But God fed them. He fed them in the form of manna. This diet sustained them. It provided for them. It gave them life. And bread represents life. And bread represents substance. And bread represents satisfaction in our life. Jesus continues by pointing out that the manna isn't sufficient to grant everlasting life or eternal life. But when they asked him for that bread, he shares the famous line that we all know probably or at least have heard. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. <clears throat> I realize today, and you've got to be careful, because today uh, bread as a whole is genetically altered. Right? I mean, bread, really. What we eat today, or what we call bread, is genetically altered for the most part. 
and um, it lacks the nutrition that it used to. It doesn't really meet the need as it did in the past. You take even 100 years ago, bread was totally different than it is today. So, you know, someone says, well, bread doesn't really represent. It does, though, biblically and scripturally as we look through. When you see bread, it represents the supply. It represents uh, satisfaction. Man is afraid of poverty today. Man is afraid of not having enough. We don't know where the next meal is going to come from. I mean, one of the great fears is, what if I lose my job? How will I feed my family? What if this happens or what if that happens? I don't know how I would provide for my family. I don't know how I would meet the needs of my life and my family and my, my home. I don't know. But I want you to know that you and I, just like those disciples there in John chapter 6, need the bread of life who will alone satisfy and who alone provides and fulfills and satisfies the soul. You're tired of the endless repetition, the mundane existence of life, the bottomless void that seems to consume your waking thoughts? Wouldn't you prefer a life that yields satisfaction and fulfillment? You know, we, we look at the basketball stars and football, uh, uh, you know, greats and all of these uh, movie stars and rappers and musicians and different uh, music, uh, you know, stars and all that. And yet we look at their lives and they're messed up. They're on drugs and alcohol. They're trying to bury their, their you know, obviously there are some real issues that they're trying to cover up and deal with. And the fact is today is that they're hurting They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for true joy. They want something that's real in their life. And yet they fail to find it. You know why? They need the bread of life. The Lord Jesus Christ. He alone satisfies. He alone meets needs that are deeper than just skin that go into the heart and soul of mankind. Mel Trotter grew up in bars. His daddy, who was a drunk, took him and his two brothers with him to the bars on a regular basis. He married and he he married and yet he still continued to war with alcohol and with drink. He'd be on a while, he'd be off a while. On a while, off a while. But the liquor just had him in its grasp. He just couldn't shake it. He couldn't give it up. Couldn't do without it. He'd tell his wife, he'd tell himself, he'd tell others. I'm never going to drink another drop as long as I live. Wouldn't be that long that he was out having another drink and was on another drunk. For six years, it only got worse. The binges got longer and he eventually stopped going home because he couldn't face his dear wife any longer. He couldn't face his little boy that had been born. It got so bad that he resorted to stealing and just to satisfy his longing for alcohol. He tried all the methods of his day, tried everything he could to sober up, but nothing seemed to work. Alcohol, liquor had gripped his heart and was not letting go. God had given them one child, as we said already, and he was hardly two years of age at the time, but One day, after a 10-day drunk, he returned to his house, which obviously had ceased to be a home. 
And he found that his baby was dead in his mother's arms. Just two years old. He couldn't take it. He felt like a murderer. He kind of, he took it on himself. He thought, if it, so if it wasn't for me being a drunk, if I'd only been here, it had never happened. He sought to end his life, but didn't have the guts as he put it. Nor could he bear the thought of facing God. On the other hand, his wife had gotten right with God. She had made up her mind to help others and to serve the Lord. She took Mel up to a little room where the casket was, and there they hugged. She made Mel make a promise to quit drinking. Right there on the spot, Mel, promise me you'll quit drinking. Promise me. Once again, Mel made an idle promise because the funeral hadn't been over for more than just two hours and he was already staggering home so drunk he couldn't see straight. On January the 19th, 1897, Mel Trotter staggered through the streets of Chicago bound for Lake Michigan where he had determined to commit suicide by jumping into an icy river, icy lake, excuse me. He was a slave to liquor. He had no home. He had no friends. He had left his wife. He had given up in despair. He had no hope. And he just figured, I might as well end it all. What's the use? As he staggered along Van Buren Street, he staggered into the Pacific Garden Mission. The doorkeeper just kind of helped him inside and poured him into a chair along the wall so he wouldn't fall out. Harry Monroe, the mission superintendent, was leading the music and seeing the ushers help this ragged drunk into the the, the, the corner chair over there, he asked the crowd to bow in prayer, and he prayed, Oh God, save that poor, poor boy. Mel was 27 years of age at that time in his life. Harry Monroe had been the same age when he wandered into the mission. He gave his testimony that night, and when he gave the invitation, Mel Trotter raised his hand for prayer, jumped to his feet, and walked forward. Monroe led him to Christ. Mel Trotter's life drastically changed that day. He spent every night at the mission and he won numbers of people, scores of people to Christ. Before long, he was asked to head up the mission in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mel Trotter, his life of fear, guilt, shame, and powerlessness came to an abrupt halt that frigid night, the night he met the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Cold outside but warm in his heart for the first time, he had finally found satisfaction in Christ. He finally found what he really needed most. Adults and young people like you can search this world over for someone or something that will satisfy. And right now, if you're young enough, you have been probably so bombarded with what the world says is happiness and joy that you somehow think you can bypass God, His Word. Praise God, you're here tonight, though. That says something about what you think and believe. But so many young people today and adults alike have missed 
this reality. If I can only find the right boyfriend, if I can only get the right girlfriend, if I can only get the right husband or wife, if I can only make a million dollars, if I can only... No, it'll never satisfy. Never. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He alone can satisfy. Number three, Jesus Christ is called... His name is the light. The light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, turn there if you would, please. The light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus Christ states who He is, what He is. He says there in John chapter 8, verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the, the light of the world, He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the light of the world. You know, overall, mankind is afraid of darkness. Most people are uncomfortable in the darkness. And that's all right. It's okay. I mean, it's normal. I mean, what's lurking in the corners? I mean, what's right beside me? Is there a bug there and I don't see it? I mean, what, what is it? You know, is there somebody there in the room? I can't see a thing. I heard, some, I heard something, but is, is there somebody there? Darkness is scary sometimes. It's frightful. A lot of horror movies and a lot of shows that are trying to build suspense will use darkness. Why? Because darkness can be scary. It's the unknown. We're more comfortable knowing what's around us rather than hoping... Nothing dangerous is in the shadows, aren't we? When I think of darkness in my life, I think about not knowing what's around the next turn. You know, what, what's, what's beside me? What's close to me? What's dangerous that I can't see? Or maybe, what, what's my future behold? I mean, it's dark up out there a, a little ways out. Man, you know what? It's interesting to note that, like just the other day, I bought a light for my car. My, 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 I got pulled over by the police the other day because, uh, who was it? Somebody, Brother Buddy, called me on the phone one day. I was coming back from church. It was so funny, Brother Buddy. I mean, literally, literally, you said, do you realize you have a front headlight out or something? You, you text my wife. And, and Sherry goes, oh, Brother Buddy just text said you have a front headlight out. Woo! Woo! I'm like, what? That's Lakemore for you. They're pretty busy around here. So anyway, I get pulled over up here up the street. I'm thinking, great. Took longer to check the license plate than it did to talk to me. Anyway, he comes up the car and he says, uh, ooh. I said, I know my, 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 my light, my, I got a light missing and it lights out. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He said, where are you coming from? I said, I'm coming from the church. I didn't tell him I was the pastor. I told him I was Mr. Jurgen. But anyway, <laughs> nonetheless, he, uh, he, he said, he said, where are you coming from? I said, I'm coming from the church up there, yeah. He said, oh, okay, okay, okay. He said, can I have your license? He took my license and stuff. And uh, he, he said, listen, you, you got a light out in front. He says, uh, you need to get that taken care of. I said, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll get that, get that taken care of. I said, matter of fact, the guy in the church just told me, text me, just told me. Oh, okay. Well, why is he worried about me having lights? Because if I don't have lights on that car, I can't see where I'm going. And you know what the truth is? Nobody else could see where I'm going either. It's a safety issue. You know what? Jesus Christ is the light of the world. 
You need Jesus Christ in your life. He'll illuminate your, your, your steps. He'll give you hope. He'll help you to see ahead. You won't make the, the mistakes. You won't fall into the pitfalls. You won't trip up in life if you'll let Christ be your light. I do have that bulb, but I can't figure out how to get it in. That's no lie. You've got to disassemble the whole car. Before I got to the house the other day, I bought the light. And I said to Cher, I said, well, we'll be home, no problem, it won't be a problem, I'll put it in later. I said, I just hope I don't have to wedge anything in there. And, you know, she goes, don't wedge anything. <laughs> don't, don't wedge anything, Mark. I said, well, guess what I have to do? I'm going to have to wedge something. Mm. That's what it says. It shows it right in the, right in the description. My wife says, don't touch it. <laughs> she knows how that's going to turn out. So I got to find somebody. I'm going to drive. I've told her I'm going around Lakemore from now on until I can get that replaced. It's in my it's in my glove box. So if they ask, I at least hold up. And go see, I got it. Now, the Bible says, "Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path." As believers, we need not fear the dark, do we? We 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 don't have to fear the unknown. We don't have to fear the future. We have Christ as our light. A woman named Rose Crawford. She'd been blind for 50 years. Imagine being blind for 50 years. Some of you say, I'm not even 50 years old. Well, can you imagine being blind from birth then? 50 years old. Here she was, 50 years. And all of a sudden, one day, she's crying out, I just can't believe it. I can't believe it! As the doctor lifted the bandage from her eyes after her, after her recovery from a very delicate surgery in an Ontario, Canada hospital. Tears of joy just flooded her cheeks and it was the first time in her life that she ever saw. I mean, the beauty, the dazzlement, uh, it was so bedazzling to her. She couldn't believe the colors and just the forms and everything. She was so overwhelmed with sight. The amazing thing about the story is this, though. 20 years of her blindness had been unnecessary. She didn't know it, but a, the surgical technique needed to, re, to, to restore her sight had been, had been discovered 20 years earlier. The doctor said she just figured there was nothing that could be done about her condition. Why no hope? Why didn't she have hope? She obviously had no idea that there was a procedure that could correct her sight. She didn't know that there had, it had been created. She didn't know that it had been found out. So for 20 years of her life, from the age of 30 to 50, she was blind when she could have had sight. And I wonder tonight, how many go through spiritual darkness with no hope have no idea that there's a solution for sin. That they don't have to be dirty anymore. They don't have to bear guilt anymore. They don't have to live in shame anymore. Because there's a cure. The Lord Jesus Christ. The light of the world. Will people go to hell because we never told them there's a solution? 
There's a procedure. There's a Savior. I wonder tonight, are you afraid of things in your life? You know, I know it's hard to believe, but I am. Some of you guys look at me and you think, look at him. He can't be afraid of anything. Right? I know, I know. A couple of you right in front of us looking at me. I could tell, yeah. Do you want to know something? I'm afraid of some things. You know what? Every one of us are, if we're honest. Do you know the solution is not trying to get a bigger gun, a bigger bat, karate lessons, although those can't hurt. <laughs> right, guys? The solution is a relationship with Jesus Christ who is the bread of life and he will satisfy your every longing. The, the, The answer is the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who's there to protect us, to care for us, and to meet our need. The solution is Jesus, the light of the world, who's there to provide you with awareness of those things around you, direction in your life. So you needn't fear the pitfalls or going astray. Tonight I wonder, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know Him personally, intimately? Not do you know about Him. Has there been a day, a time, a place when you personally accepted and received Christ into your life as your Savior? I I hope and trust that you have. But if you haven't, in just a few moments, you're going to get an opportunity to do that. Someone will take a Bible, God's Word, show you His promises, and introduce you to none other than the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, the Light of the World, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Maybe you're a child of God tonight. You're struggling with something in your life. Fear for whatever. Maybe it's fear of your finances. Fear of a relationship. You're afraid it's going to go awry. Fear of your future. Why don't we come maybe to an old-fashioned altar tonight and say, Lord Jesus, you're the one that can satisfy my longing. You're the one that can provide me with protection and care. You're the one that can meet my need and give me the direction I need. You alone. Father, we love you. We thank you for all you've done tonight.